welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Our guest today, Brooks Boland, is onto something. And it's not just about how to figure out what to do with all the technological junk that we all have accumulating in our homes and in our businesses, but he's figuring out a way to get rid of the stuff, how to reuse it, how to turn it into art, but also how to work on some of the biggest problems that will face our generation. I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say about these things next on Footnotes. Brooks, uh, thanks for sitting down with us. We're, of course, with Brooks Boland, who is the founder of MSP Disposal here in Columbia. You know, Brooks, I know we're going to get into how you got this started and, and all that happened, but can we talk about what's behind you first uh, in terms of this kind of backdrop with all these, you know, technology parts that some I recognize and some I don't, but what what is this? Uh, about two years ago, our growth rate astronomically started growing up at the customer account level, and I wanted to tell you this story about that. And I thought, what better way um, to tell a good story through the reuse of our recycling product through art? And this board that you see behind me really has turned into a walking board where I can put it at the Darla Moore or the State Fair and anything that I want to put and message I want to tell, we can interchange those on the actual TV screens. So if I'm looking for new hires or whatever, or new clients, people love to put this art there and I kind of use it as like a selling tactic. Before the art came, I guess you had to start a company and you started MSP. Yep. Can you take us back to the early days and what was going on um, to give you the idea and sort of how did you get it off the ground? So it really all came from working at a software company here in town. So I, my background is, is business, it's not tech, it's not software, IT or anything like that. But I was working for a CFO at a software company who put their software on hardware. And he hired me on the premise of just go through our books and help us save money. So I got to just dig deep into figuring out where expenses went. And one of those things was they were buying brand new servers for their engineering team but they weren't getting the old ones back from when their customers were upgrading to a bigger terabyte server for backup. So I put a whole program in place to get the old ones back, wipe the data, give them to the engineers, and that immediately saved about a million bucks a year in CapEx. And they allowed me to create a whole company on that fed through them back in 2013, which is a pretty cool story. And so that company became MSP? Uh, yeah, so we had to find warehouse and people, so we created a LLC called Minos Technology and uh, hired the people, and that way these servers weren't coming into the software company. They would be routed to that company for them to be wiped, procured, purchased, and then sold off to, for reuse. And so again, kind of going back, you know, they had hardware that they made software for, loaded it, took it to the new customer, the new customer had old stuff right. that was, I guess, obsolete. It's probably the right word or just couldn't be used. Yep. Is that the equivalent of, you know, we all have that drawer in our house that has old stuff in it, like right. old remotes and old cords and old cell phones. I mean, is that kind of writ large at the corporate level? Yeah, especially with data backup, you know, people's data grows so fast these days. So the hardware is still good, but you have to have bigger hard drives to support that. I've always had an addiction to where things go like an extreme addiction to figuring out, well, where does planes go? Where does hardware go? And really chasing that problem. And that's no different than kind of how the company started was, you know, we have a problem with spending a lot of money on CapEx for engineering. How do we get the old ones back and solve that problem? So before your idea and before MSP, I mean, what did happen to those things that were not being used? 
I mean, they just get thrown away or? So a few, one, it can be thrown away. Uh, when you leave it up to the customers to do whatever they want to with, they tend to find themselves on eBay. Um, and then now, or some online platform right there. So a sales guy's going in and pitching a new solution and now they're competing against their own brand on eBay. So this whole getting the old things back, ripping off labels to where it never makes it out there on the open market, to where they're not their sales team is not competing with themselves is very important. So take us through the process that that you developed at MSP in terms of what you do for your customers. You know how how did they um, notify? How did they know to find you? And when they find you, what happens? Okay, so we got really laser focused on reverse logistics, and we thought that if there's like really three factors when it comes to disruption, no difference than Uber, DoorDash. So you have a software solution that enables very quick use of uh, getting something picked up free of charge, and then it gets transported and it gets transparently taken care of, meaning the data got wiped, and then where it transparently when it got sold at this price. So Uber, your software company, you have logistics of people moving around, you have transparency on this person's picking you up, it's a 4.9 star, which gives you the ability to trust that and get in the car. Um, DoorDash is no different. Um, same thing. So we kind of followed those, but then we added one layer deep into like the good feel of the story. Um, where did this thing go? Does it go back now to even make an art? Mm. So we've added one layer to that as well. So sort of, you know, you get rid of your stuff to a trusted provider, you know, the data is going to be taken off, but then that, that end piece of, and here's what happened to it. Right. Yep. I mean, we're even thinking about doing art on, let's say, just Microsoft products or just Cisco. So if you're a Cisco and you're going onto the campus and you see all this art made out of your old electronics, so it doesn't end up in a landfill, um, that's the kind of stuff that we're getting to. So when we had our conversation before this to kind of set this up, art, art came up again. I mean, you've got art behind you right. and you kind of showed how you can reuse, but you also talked about... Um, another useful aspect of art or, or talking to artists. Can you can you go into that? Yeah, something I really didn't expect is when we did this one piece here, started doing this piece, a whole community artist wanted to be involved with this thing. And I've always had an interest in art, but I've never surrounded myself with artists in mass scale. And when they started coming to the warehouses and having conversations, the uh, creativity and the uh, uh, desire to learn about the business and the problems that are occurring was very interesting. And because they're all about solving problems and they're very abstract. So I even have artists that I basically brainstorm with to solve everyday logistics problems. Mm -hmm. Or And they're very hands-on as well. So to do this right here, it's more than just a painting. It's pliable and working with materials. There's no difference in like building a box that I could use to perfect the logistics of shipping things into a container to, to buy. So can you talk a little bit more? I mean, I think most people would think, hey, if I've got a shipping problem, I need to talk to a logistics expert. Right. You probably do talk to experts. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, it's hard to imagine that you're not talking to people that, that are doing this as, as a day job, so to speak. But again, I think the artist angle is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, what, why, why do it that way and sort of seek that out? I mean, that takes a lot of time, patience, et cetera. You don't know what you're going to get. Why, right. why are you so open to that? It's because when I talked to, well, just like yesterday, someone an artist was here, and I know when I put an idea in his brain, 
he's not stopping thinking about solving that problem. So imagine you talk to 10 people like that, and then now for the next 18 hours, it consumes them. And as opposed to talking to a one-on-one -on -one conversation, when you leave that conversation, they're on to the next thing. So I'm all about attaching to something that's gonna just consume someone to help solve a problem. That's interesting. Um, why do you think more businesses don't use that approach? I mean, I'm asking for your opinion, but yeah, that, that I mean, does seem pretty it, unconventional. It is. When you go, my experience is at least out west, you start talking to CEOs, they, they do very, unique things about getting their brains really creative, right? Could be, you know, trying something or going out to the desert or whatever. Maybe this is my unique way of doing something like that, but through people. Um, I've always never thought about a problem, like what solutions are already out there. I think that I'll put you into a box. I, I could say, I have a team of developers. I have a team of very creative people. What should it be as opposed to what's being done today? And I just move a lot faster that way. So talking about the problem itself of all this sort of tech hardware that, that's just floating around out there and not being used, I mean, how how large of a problem is that worldwide? Oh, it's, um, I'll tell you this, uh, just from our scale perspective, two years ago, we were getting in about a pallet a day of product. And then keep in mind, we have no sales team, zero. We go, we do all our customer acquisition through about two trade shows per year. Today, we're getting an 18 below a day. And there's no us calling, asking for product. It just organically happens through the website. People requesting boxes, requesting boxes to be picked up. Um, and that's just, just us. Um, but this problem exists all over the world. And what we have seen is there's a big statement in this, this right here. It's end of life in the U.S. doesn't mean end of life in other countries. And it's really important, how can you extend the life of that by opening up this other channel through software to enable an extra two years or three years of use of that product? And whether this through technology or phones or solar panels or whatever it might be for the greater good of the, the, the world, it can be used for all that. Um, do, you, do hardware manufacturers sort of have your face on a dartboard? I mean, do they... Does this hurt or impact their business, this aspect of reuse? No, no, I mean, when Cisco saw our granular system, they're asking if we use your services, can you track this back to ESG and net carbon? So through the reuse of a product, you're also having net carbon emissions because you don't have to manufacture a new widget. So there's companies out there looking at to produce this widget, it is producing this carbon footprint. Mm. And I know if I sell that widget, then I can tie it back to that. So the sustainability side of it is huge and getting a lot of attention from Cisco and Microsoft right now. So now that aspect of being able to quantify the, the carbon that they're saving, is that part of your service to them where you're quantifying that and kind of reporting it back to them? Not today, but that's what it should be. Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone has these very large scale initiatives, you know, um, 10, 20, 30 year outlook, but no one is saying, here's the data. We're, just throw it on a wall and let someone, you know, say, this is not correct. I'm all about just throwing it out there and seeing how the chips fall. Sort of trial and error. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, like hundreds of millions of dollars being put at engineers to figure this problem out at these companies. But so you got to start somewhere. I mean, can you talk a little more about trial and error, kind of the role of that in, in MS, MSP? 
Yeah, so when it comes to different categories, you have to go to what I think is like research, uh, mainly through probably universities, and say, through the re reuse of this product, what is the carbon emissions to make that product? And what are all the inputs for that? Whether you have someone coming on site to drive there and, and make it, how many people it takes to do that. You got electricity output. Um, if you can't reuse it, let's go to a different industry, like textiles, for example. What are your options with all this used stuff such as clothing or shoes? Well, you have to shred it. So what's the carbon emissions with using a shredder? Maybe you have to burn it. Let's hope no one does that, but now you have all the, the smoke from that. So I think it's creating these little cells out there that are quantifying uh, th like this type of product. What are the carbon emissions to produce that? And then if you're funneling product and extending the life of it, reporting on that. Yeah, I think I've even noticed, like, for instance, on Google Flights, if you look up flights, it'll now, there's another column over there to the right that shows the carbon emissions yeah, based, on a, based on a trip. Yeah. Um, how does that, or how do you think that gets more normalized in terms of people's thinking on their, their sort of carbon footprint? Or is that something you give a whole lot of thought to? Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine Amazon's built for profit. Right, um, but imagine in theory. Yes. In, in theory, well, yeah, that's yeah. They show no profit, but they're about right. figuring out what's selling, and then they copy it, and then they, uh, you know, make a lot of money on it. But imagine an Amazon that was all around not going after small businesses that put their product in Amazon fulfillment centers. Imagine using excess inventory from the large manufacturers out there and bridging the gap on how to leverage that stock and open up a channel through software that can be funneled to whether it to another country or to a nonprofit. So it's a totally different concept of Amazon, but mainly for like the greater good. Are there, kind of in your work on this, are there regions of the world that tend to benefit more than other regions from reuse? In other words, like you said, the United States, I mean, we produce right. all these things, we use all these things. There's a there's an end of life cycle based on upgrades and stuff like that. But, you know, in terms of are there, are there particular areas of the world where mm -hmm. these things tend to migrate and, and, and create some benefit? Yeah, so about nine months ago, I really started zooming out on Google Earth and like, looking at a map of like Earth and thinking like, where is all this product going, right? So. Probably 90% of used electronics goes into Dubai, and then it gets filtered filtered out. So it's like, where are these containers going? Clothing, textiles, Africa, India. Um, and the question is, do those countries have the ability to process the waste of that? India, probably not. Africa, probably not. So how can you alleviate problems with things coming into those countries that they're paying for, and then 80%, I think, of the containers that make it to Ghana can't be reused. This is clothing that we just drop in bins that they get aggregated to a port, which get put into a container, which can get bought by pound, and then 80% can't be reused. It, why can't it be reused? Just out of dirty, or uh, it's it's just it's it's a lot of that's clothing coming actually from us. So we think we're doing a really good deed by dropping these things off in these bins, let's say at Lowe's parking lot, and then it gets put into that, but I've seen behind the scenes at these manufacturers where, you know, you can have one pin in a piece of clothing and it can't be put into a Target, Macy's, Belk, or whatever. Tens of thousands of pallets like that in these manufacturers. So you have these big brands that are taking really big heat 
But behind the scenes, the brands, they're not manufacturing their product. They're using contract manufacturers. So how do you really bridge the gap and give the ability for these big brands to move product logistically into these countries transparently to where they're now bidding and buying on container loads of high quality new product that might just have a pinhole in it versus buying used product unseen by Pound. There's so many ways I think that this can be used because I mean, you just, we started out talking about technology, which I think everybody's got that drawer, you know, of right. stuff that they can't use anymore. But now you're talking about apparel, which everyone wears clothes. Right. Um, where where else can, can the, these sort of concepts be applied? So imagine getting, uh, I'll use it in a few different categories. So we'll, we'll stick with the phones, for example. You go to this website in a few months and you, it's literally a picture of a drawer and then you put how many things you have on there and what type of box you need to get to. You click one button, the box shows up. You put it in there, you click one button, someone comes picks it up from you. Uh, two weeks later, you get an email funneling that this phone was completely wiped correctly and here's access to this site. Then a week later, you see it's been funneled to a nonprofit being used by this person. So how you transparently see that. So now we'll get into solar panels. Uh, you're a solar farm and it's been 12 years, you have all these panels, how do you recycle it? Box shows up, container, whatever it might be. Um, then it gets funneled to another country and you get to see that whole story behind that. Mm -hmm. So it's all about one, people need to get rid of a product to the perfection of a box or reverse logistics of that. One click and how it gets sent somewhere to get massaged a certain way, another click, auctioned off to another country that could use that product. Yeah, I think we've all become somewhat conditioned to tracking our shipments and we see all right. these little, you know, places that it, that the box goes before it lands on our on our doorstep and I think like you're saying you're you're saying let's do all that and then add a story at the end. Right. How do you how do you capture the stories? Like how do you really find out what happened to something? So I think it's you have to have like approved uh, vendors or purchasers that are buying that stuff. So we're, we do trade shows, we'll call them brokers that are buying in bulk. So buying in bulk for IT, buying in bulk for textiles, whatever it might be. But to be a part of this platform, to bid on this product, we have to know transparently really where it goes and forcing them to say, okay, we're gonna sell into these shops or things like that. And then really having these ambassadors in these other countries documenting that to where they are posting that with inside the platform and through our community page. So you can kind of see the whole story. So you've you've had this idea, you 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 solved a problem in a place where you were working that became sort of a, a, a side hustle almost that then became a full-time um, gig. Right. Let's shift gears for a minute and talk about it. I think a lot of people watch these episodes and they're sitting on an idea or maybe they've got a, a side hustle going that's doing more than just paying for a nice dinner out. Mm -hmm. How did you know when it was time to go full-time and yeah. kind of leave leave the paycheck behind and, right. and everything that comes with that? Um, how did you know when it was time to go out on your own? So I had a, literally a dollar mount on my big 20-foot <laughs> whiteboard and I said, when this bank account hits that, I go. Okay. That arbitrary. Yeah, that cool. Yeah. You know, but it left me once it hit that number, I had to do it. I felt comfortable enough to do it. So it's all to me around creating things that make you move into the uncomfortable zone. 
you know, whether that, and now let's say now you're a business owner and you're working really hard and you hit a home run and you make, let's say 10,000 bucks on a deal or 20,000, you have the uh, choice at that time. Do I go buy a toy or do I roll that and hire an employee? And coming up with that metric to where when I do this or when I hit this type of home run, I'm going to automatically roll it into the company. So it just keeps, you keep fueling it. You know, I think that's really important to that. So how long did it take? So when, when the side hustle began and you, you put that dollar amount on the whiteboard, how long did it take to get to the dollar amount from bef- when you decided that? Three years. Three years, okay. So in other words, it wasn't where you, you put a number on the board and two weeks later, I mean, this was... Yeah, patience. Yeah, yeah. okay. How do you sort of do a lot of that kind of pre-deciding things and setting up like when this happens, I will do blank no matter how long it takes? I mean, is that like one of your things? Uh, it used to be. Okay. And I think now I just do, <laughs> I mean, which can be dangerous. I have to surround myself with people that try to slow me down because mm-hmm. um, my team is very creative and especially on the software side. Um, but I used to put a lot of things like that because I guess I was a little more conservative back then. Um, and now it's a little less like that. I just, I feel like the art thing, for example, I'll go do and go talk to 20 galleries to see what their ideas are before I just go all into an idea. Yeah. And then once I feel confident, I go. But going back to that decision-making, I think I think someone wrote a book that, about this, but so this is not an original kind of thought, but I mean, it sounds like the discipline of setting something out there, even being willing to wait, that that actually did create freedom. Like discipline can create freedom. 100%. Yeah. And knowing knowing the rock, like what your goal is, you know, you're the end game. Mm -hmm. And and checking in, you know, monthly, whatever it might be, knowing that you're going for that thing. So, I mean, what's, what's on the whiteboard now? I mean, what are you... What is, what is out there that might be two years away or three years away in terms of you or your company? Uh, I really see us the, the Amazon of sustainability. Hmm. And uh, imagine- what do, you, what do you mean by that? So a website that you would go to, and if you purchase from that website, you would maybe get a net carbon emission tax credit. Hmm. So really the data behind that, hmm. as opposed to going to an Amazon and buying, you go into a website, then you can turn into your taxes because you know, where that could happen, you know, that their laws could get there, especially in Europe. Um, and we've been working on this engine to do that for years. And timing has been pretty good. So that's, and that's really just tying the dots between the big manufacturers of the world, overstock and people. In your opinion, I mean, how far away in the United States are we from what you're describing? Probably five years. Five years. Probably. Cool. So it's not like 25 years or another no, generation uh, or something. No, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. That's, and, that's really, yeah, that's interesting. And the art thing is really big. If we can really figure out the the precious metal game um, in the sense, as opposed to uh, recycling this in a typical per pound um, way, but reforming it into art, that is, uh, it's big. It's going to take a lot of work to get off the ground because no one's doing what we're trying to do. All right. So, so last question, and, and and hopefully this is this is this is among one of the easier ones to answer. But you, this is a great story. You're doing all these things. Um, 
But we're sitting here in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems like an operation that could literally be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, why are you doing it here? I think Columbia people kind of overlook that because it's just small enough of a city to where if you have a good story, you can get in front of anybody. If I was in Atlanta or Tampa or, or wherever it might be, there's probably a lot of people with really cool things. Um, but when I got in front of economic development nine months ago, it's like, oh, you want to talk to the mayor, you want to talk to the governor. We really believe in what you're doing. So as any advice to people starting something and they're like, I got to go to a bigger city to get it done, maybe that's the exact opposite of what you need to do. Yeah, and I feel like um, the, this factoid that I can't get out of my head is that I think in the whole state of South Carolina, there's roughly 5.1 million people, mm-hmm. plus or minus. But in the Atlanta area MSA, right? there's over six, I mean, a million more people are in just that metro area right. than in our entire state. Right. And I feel like that's just something that's lost on a lot of people. And in other words, to your point, I think that can be worked as an advantage. Mm-hmm. You know, to your point, small states, compact geography, you're, you can be connected to more people sooner because right. there's just not that many connections that you need right. uh, to get to those other places. And I, and I, I wish that were thought of as more of a selling point selfishly. Mm-hmm. Um, we do work all over the country also, mm-hmm. but this is, we're here too, you know, and by choice. We could, we could, especially now, you know, the pandemic and all these things have taught us that you can really do this anywhere, but we choose to be here too, so. Yeah, choosing where to tell a story is really important, you know, very important. So, I mean, either I'm, I'm here doesn't mean I can't be on the West Coast or wherever because we solve problems for pretty much sure. every, every problem, every, sure. every human out there. Well, Brooks, thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for being here and letting us come talk to you. This art is really cool. I hope, uh, where can people find you on on the web? Okay, so you can check out uh, the recycling site is mspdisposal, which is right there, .com. So if you have a closet full of technology, there is a form right there to fill out. Uh, If you wanna check out the art and kind of like our big picture mission, that is called the 12, T-H-E-T-W-E-L-V-E dot world. Not .com, but it's .world. So the 12.world. Yes. And that's where all of this stuff is being talked about. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.